You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. I want to encourage you, if you have access to a Bible, to, pull, to open it up to Luke chapter 2. Uh, there's some pew Bible, black Bibles in the pews there. It's on page 51 in the New Testament. Uh, I want to look at this account a little more closely. Uh, it's it's a, an important account because it's only found uh, in the gospel uh, of Luke. Uh, and, and in this account, we see an old man and an old woman doing something um, that's not super exciting. Right? They're, they're waiting that's what they're doing. They're just waiting, uh, which most of us don't like to wait. Uh, I would venture to say that we hate to wait. Uh, and because of the way life tends to be in our society now, we, it's getting to be something we don't do very well. We don't even know how to do because we don't have to wait uh, anymore. Uh, if I want to buy something, uh, I do not have to wait for it to be available in the stores. I do not have to wait for money to be available in my bank account. I just pull it up on Amazon, I buy it with credit, and two days later, a box with a smile on it shows up on my doorstep, which makes me smile, right? Because there it is. There's what I wanted. I didn't even have to wait for it. Uh, If I want to listen to a particular song, I don't have to wait for it to come on the radio like I did when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, I would make mixtapes. Is there anyone here that used to do this? I had a big box with a tape recorder, and I would wait for like the perfect, it'd be like a Def Leppard song to come on the radio, and I would hit record at just the right time. But now, I've got Spotify, I have access to all the 80s hair bands, anything I want right there on my phone at any time. I don't have to wait. If I'm cold, I don't have to wait for it to get warm outside, because I just knock up the thermostat a little bit to the exact temperature that comforts me. If I'm sad, if I'm depressed, uh, I don't have to wait or just sit alone with my own thoughts in the silence of my own head, do I? Because I can fill my life, I can fill my mind with Netflix and Twitter and Instagram. The very name Instagram says that I can connect instantly with the world. I don't have to wait. There's no waiting anymore. Here's the problem with that. Much of how the Bible describes the life of faith is that it's a life of waiting. It's it's all over the Bible. Psalm 40 starts like this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. See, the season of Advent tells us that the Lord has heard our cries, and he's turned to us, and he's doing something about it. But Advent tells us we have to wait for it. Advent gives us a whole season of waiting before Christmas. We we shouldn't rush Christmas like our culture wants to do because Advent is about waiting, waiting for the one who can come and do something about our situation. And so during Advent, we wait. So I don't think it's an accident that when Luke wrote down the Christmas narrative that he would draw attention to two people waiting. Uh, these two people are not famous, they're not influential, they're not powerful, they're not people, we would not even know who they are if Luke doesn't tell us their name, Anna and and Simeon. Uh, And they're just waiting there in the temple, and I think we have much to learn from these two old saints. I think they could be our mentors uh, if we let them, because of who they are and how they wait. 
Now, I want you to look at the setting of this story. Look at where and, 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 and when we meet Simeon and Anna. Look at verse 22, Luke 2, verse 22. It says, when the time came for their purification, that's the, Mary's purification, Mary and Joseph's purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's set apart to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves. That's two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is exactly or right around 40 days after Jesus was born. Here's how we know this. In Leviticus chapter 12, it said that a woman would be unclean for 40 days after the birth uh, of a son. And then she would have to go and show herself to the priest, and she would bring a burnt offering for her purification. So it's been 40 days since all the hoopla that we read about last week, earlier in Luke chapter 2, with shepherds out in the field, choir of angels singing glory to God in the highest all that. The shepherds go over to Bethlehem. They see the baby Jesus. They tell what the angel said about him. It's this spectacular birth. There's heavenly fanfare. There's earthly testimony. But then in Luke's account, there's 40 days of silence. There's, there's not anything else that goes on. It's just silent. Now, what was that like for Mary and Joseph? They just had a baby. I imagine they started to get into the normal routine of life uh, with a newborn. It's really interesting. The incarnation of the Son of God in some ways had changed everything for Mary and Joseph, but in other ways it had changed nothing for them because there were still dirty diapers. Right? The incarnation didn't change that. There were still sleepless nights with a crying baby and trying to figure out a feeding schedule and a sleeping schedule. Uh, There's a lot of uh, new parents in our church, uh, people who have just had a baby or people who are about to have a baby. And if that's you, you need to know that Joseph and Mary had no advantage over you just because their baby was the son of God, right? They, they, They still held in their arms a cuddly little ball of humanity, and all he wanted to do was cry and eat and sleep and poop, and that's what they had. So they were tired, right? They had lots to do. And on top of all that they had to do to figure out their new life, they had spiritual obligations to fulfill, which is why they were at the temple, which is why they went to Jerusalem uh, to the temple. And and the text tells us they went up to the temple for two reasons. They went for purification, and and they went for presentation. So what does it mean when it says they went for purification? Well, again, in Leviticus 12, it says that a woman would need to be purified after 40 days, and so she would go to the priest, uh, and she would bring a lamb for a burnt offering— and then she would bring a dove, or a turtle dove, or like a pigeon uh, for a sin offering. Now, if she could not afford to bring a lamb for the burnt offering, Leviticus 12 says she could bring two birds. So two pigeons or two turtle doves. Isn't it interesting that that's what Mary and Joseph bring? Uh, they bring the offering of the poor. Uh, they bring the offering that, that the, the people that couldn't afford a lamb would bring. And it just is one more thing that points to the humble origins of our Savior. So they go for purification, then they go for presentation. They go to present Jesus uh, to God. Uh, Exodus chapter 13 said that every 
firstborn male would be holy to the Lord. That's dedicated to the Lord or set apart to the Lord. Now, when a family brought their son to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, they did not leave him there. Uh, they, they took him home to raise him, but Exodus 13 says they could redeem him or buy him back by offering a sacrifice. And in offering that sacrifice, what they were saying to God was, we will raise this boy to serve you, right? It was like a, it was like a very formal uh, baby dedication ceremony. We will raise our child to serve you, right? So I want, what, all I want you to catch here is that Joseph and Mary were godly parents, They wanted to raise this son with the blessing of the Lord and according to God's plan. They were godly parents. So they they end up in the temple, which is the setting where we meet Anna and Simeon. And I don't want you to miss the significance that this happens in the temple because it's the nerve center of the religious life of Israel. It's, It's the place of worship. It's where people went to have their sins cleansed through the offering of sacrifices. Only no one knew that the one who all those sacrifices would ultimately point to had just come in the door of the temple. How could they know? How could they have any idea that this was the Lamb of God who would spill his own blood to take away the sins of the world? They couldn't know because he was only six weeks old. He was just a baby. And this is where we meet Simeon and Anna. And I want want you to look at who they are but I also, want, I also want us to look at how they're waiting, because that's what's instructive to us as Christians. How do they wait? Look at verse 25. Let's look at Simeon first. first. Verse 25. It says, There's a now, uh, uh, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. Christ. Now, I think it's, what's interesting here is that Luke doesn't give us any details about Simeon other than about his character. And yet, Luke is an extremely detailed historian. We've seen that in, in the weeks before. Uh, he gives us lots of information about the characters, their family line, their title, their position. He doesn't tell us any of that stuff about Simeon. There's no lineage, there's no status, there's no vocation, nothing, no title listed. There's no resume for Simeon here that would make us think, hey, that guy was pretty, he was a big deal. He was pretty important. Because I think he was just an ordinary guy. I think he was just a regular guy. The only thing that Luke tells us about him is that Simeon was righteous, uh, he was devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was virtuous, he revered God, and he was filled with the Spirit. That's a pretty good description. If you were to say that about me at the end of my life, hey, he was virtuous, he revered God, he was full of the Spirit, I'll take that. I'll take that description. That's who Simeon is. And it says that he was waiting. He was waiting for something very particular, for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? What does the consolation of Israel mean? Well, it means he was waiting for Israel to be comforted. Do you remember how Isaiah chapter 40 begins? It's the beginning of Handel's Messiah. It says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, 
that her sin has been paid for. Who would comfort Israel by ending her hard service to other nations and by paying for her sins? It would be the Christ. It would be the Messiah. The, the, the rabbis would later call the Messiah Menahem, which means the comforter. That's who Simeon was waiting for. And God had revealed to Simeon that he would personally get to see with his own eyes the Christ, the Messiah, before he passed away. And so he was just waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. Phil Riken says that's actually what it means to be a believer. It just means to wait in faith for God to fulfill his promises. It means to wait in faith for God to do what he said he was going to do. And so Simeon waits. What about Anna? Look at her. Look at verse, skip down to verse 36. It says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. So Luke does give us her family line. He tells us who she is, where she's from. He's basically saying, hey, she's a real person. Look her up. This is her family. She was uh, advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then she was a widow until she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer uh, night and day. So what kind of woman was Anna? Well, she was a prophetess, which was a rare title in Israel. Uh, Jewish tradition would say that there were only seven prophetesses in the Old Testament. So it was a rare title. It meant that she was a vessel through whom God could speak, through whom God could reveal uh, his will. And then it says she was a widow. So she was married for seven years, and then her husband died, which probably means in that culture that she was in her early 20s when her husband died. And she had chosen not to remarry, but to to remain as she was and to serve God as a widow. Like, do you know how risky that was for a woman in that culture? To go it alone in life without a husband in that culture. Do you know the vulnerability that she had to live life as a widow? First Timothy chapter 5 actually captures it. First Timothy 5, 5 says that she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Isn't it incredible? That's, it. That's exactly what Anna has done. She spends her days worshiping God, fasting and praying at the temple. For 60 years, she's put her hope in God alone and sought him alone. And she is waiting there. What's she waiting for? Well, verse 38 says that she's in touch with those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the same thing Simeon's waiting for, for the Messiah, for the Christ, for the ruler who would come and replace Caesar and rule the world. She's waiting for the kingdom to come. And so Anna and Simeon are waiting uh, there for the same thing. They're in the temple. And, And the question I think for us is how are they waiting? What can we learn from how they're waiting? Um, what does godly waiting look like? And you can just observe a few things from their life. Uh, First of all, we could say that waiting, as we look at them, is not passive. Uh, Waiting is not just wasting time. Anna and Simeon are not just sitting around uh, passing the time until they die. They're not just trying to fill the hours with whatever they can until they die. Hobbies, 
Wheel of Fortune, Jigsaw Puzzles, whatever. Just fill the time until I get through this thing. It's, it, they're not passive because godly waiting is actually active uh, and attentive. You, you could translate that word waiting uh, there as the word expecting, uh, as the word looking for. When it says in the Bible that you're waiting, it means you're expecting someone and you're preparing for their arrival. Uh, on Christmas um, morning in a couple days, uh, we're going to have some family over to the house um, uh, to celebrate. And Amy, my wife, and I will get up early and we'll begin the preparations. I'll put the coffee on. Amy will put the breakfast casserole in the oven, the monkey bread, which is like sweet manna from heaven that you can't believe it's the food of angels, uh, monkey bread. And so she'll put that in. Uh, we'll light some candles. We'll put some cheesy Christmas music on. And then we'll wait. We'll wait for the arrival of our guest. One of the important guests who's coming, uh, besides my mother-in-law, is uh, my wife's grandfather, 97-year-old uh, Grandpa Thompson. Grandpa T is what we call him. Uh, he still drives. He will drive to our house on Christmas morning. So if you're out around here, watch out. But he'll be coming. And we'll, as we wait, we'll be checking out the window to see when he arrives. And when Grandpa T gets there, one of the girls will say, hey, Grandpa's here. And we'll go out to meet him. That's what biblical waiting looks like. It means preparing the place for an honored guest and then waiting on their arrival. Waiting is preparation for the arrival of the king. And as Christians, we would say there's much to be done, isn't there? To prepare for him. So it's active, not passive. Secondly, we could say that waiting is not a dulling of our senses. Like we're not just trying to distract ourselves and numb ourselves. Sometimes I think when we think about waiting, we think about like the waiting room at the doctor's office. Or the DMV. We're like, this place is awful. What can I do to get myself through this terrible time? We're looking at our phone. We're reading some awful magazine. We're just trying to numb ourselves until we can get through the waiting. Biblical waiting is not a numbing of our senses. It's a heightening of our senses. It's not like a waiting room. It's like a worship service. Did you notice that Anna and Simeon are both so in tune with God? They're so sensitive to his spirit. They are spiritually wide awake in their waiting. They know what God is saying. They know what God is doing in the world. And then lastly, we could say that, that waiting is not fatalistic. It's not fatalistic. Godly waiting is not simply resigned to the fact that the world is broken. Ah, that's just how it is. I guess, you know, the world's just getting worse and worse. I guess sin is going to win. I guess injustice is going to win. It's all going to burn anyway, so let's just ride this thing out. That's not godly waiting. Godly waiting is, is believing and praying and acting as if Jesus can and will make all things new and right and fix what is broken in the world. Anna and Simeon, are, are, they're aware of the brokenness and the pain in the world, aren't they? They've lived a long life. They've experienced the longing and the hurting of life on planet earth. And yet they're not resigned to it. They're, they're not like, well, that's just how it's going to be. They're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. Lord, send your king. And then they're living life as if God is actually going to send the king. And so I think Anna and Simeon show us that waiting is really a spiritual discipline. You know what I mean by that? It's a spiritual discipline, meaning it's spiritual. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in it. 
But it's a discipline. It's something that we enter into. And so we look. We long. We pray. We promote justice. We pursue righteousness. We care for God's creation. We prepare a place for the king. That's what it means to wait, biblically. That's how we wait. Uh, and Anna and Simeon, I think, are good examples of how to do that. I want to end by, by just looking for a few minutes at the one that they're waiting for. And, and specifically, what do they say about the one that they're waiting for? Uh, look, look at um, verse 27. Verse 27. And Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Simeon had waited a long time for this moment. Uh, you know, God had promised that he would see the Christ before he died. Uh, and, but he didn't know when the moment was going to come. And I'm trying to imagine what this moment was like. Like, it had to be incredible. I don't know if, like, the hair on his arm stood up. I don't know if his, his, his pulse quickened. I don't know if he felt warmth in his chest. But so, he, he, he felt something. He knew something, and it had to be this incredible moment. And, and, and did you catch the emphasis in our passage today on the Spirit's leading and the Spirit being on Simeon? So the Spirit leads Simeon into the temple. The Spirit leads uh, Simeon to Jesus. And that would have to be the case, right? Because how would he know who the Christ is? How would he know that this baby is the Christ? It's a baby. It just looks like a baby. How would he know? Now listen, I know that first-time parents and parents of newborns have studied the details and the nuances of their child's face and everything about that baby, and they are convinced that there is no child who's more uniquely beautiful on the face of planet earth than this baby, our baby. I know that, right? I get that. I've had three of them, and I felt the same way. But we have to know that to most of us who aren't paying as close of attention, most babies under two months old, they kind of all look the same, right? They're all bundled up. They got blankets and stuff. You can't even see them. And yet Simeon notices this baby, Right? He walks over to this baby, and he takes the baby in his arms. And I don't know how this moment went down. I don't know if he just, like, took the baby. I don't know if he's like, may I hold your baby, ma'am? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, don't, I think Joseph and Mary were like, who is this weird old dude trying to hold our baby? And how did they really feel when he started singing? Did you, he burst out into song. It's like a musical in this moment with Simeon singing. Look at verse 29. This song has been called the Nunc Dimittis. It's the Latin phrase, now you dismiss. Now you dismiss your servant in peace. It's the first line of the song. Look at what Simeon sings. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What is Simeon's testimony in this song? His testimony is, Jesus is everything I've been waiting for. This baby that I'm holding in my arms is everything I've been waiting for. 
Look what he says about Jesus in this song. In verse 32, he says, this baby is salvation. My eyes have looked upon your salvation. So when you are looking at Jesus, you are looking at everything you need. You're looking at the Savior, everything you need for salvation. In verse 32, he says, this baby is for the whole world. He's for every type of person from every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture. He's not just for the Jews. He's for the Gentiles. Look, he says he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That means that he reveals God to the world, to the whole world. That when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God, a revelation of God. And then he says, this baby is the glory of Israel. What does that mean? It means that the Messiah, the hope of the nations, has come from Israel, and they can glory in that. They can say, hey, the king of kings, he came from us. So Simeon is singing, Jesus is everything I've been waiting for. You know why I think it's significant that Simeon is probably an old man here? He's very near his death. You know why that's significant? I think it's because he's able to mentor us. Because he's lived a long life. He's waited a long time. He knows what it means to live a long time looking for something to fill the hole in your heart. Looking for something who will satisfy your deepest longings. Is it a marriage? Is it children? Is it a career? Is it wealth? Is it that possession, that house? Is it status? Is it power? What is it that will satisfy me? And I think Simeon's able to say, it's not that, 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 it's this. It's this baby I'm holding in my arms. Jesus is everything I've been waiting for. This is the one. And he sees it with his own two eyes. And he tells us, and we know about it today. I think Mary and Joseph are astonished by what's happening here. This stranger talking about their baby. Verse 33 says uh, that they marveled at what was said about Jesus. Like they didn't, I don't think they actually got what was being said, uh, but I think they loved it. I think they thought it was marvelous. Uh, They're like, this is pretty awesome what's being said about our son. Uh, But then Simeon says something else. He kind of changes the mood. Uh, he, he, He takes this bright moment and he makes it a little darker. Look at what he says in verse 34. He talks just to Mary now. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so for the first time, we see the long shadow of the cross fall over Jesus, don't we? Like salvation will come through Jesus, but it will come through his suffering. Right? Consolation will come through Jesus, but it will come through his cross. And, and so Jesus he's, is going to be opposed. In fact, he's going to be violently opposed. And that violent opposition will pierce the very soul of Mary because one day she will have to watch her precious son die. She will see it with her own two eyes. And Simeon says here, to her uh, that this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. What is he saying there? That, he, that he's appointed from the, for the fall and the rising of many uh, in, in Israel. 
He's saying that Jesus is not neutral. He's not neutral. He's not just like a nice, good teacher with some good life lessons for us. He's not like a souped up Mr. Rogers that we ought to listen to and love. What he's saying here is that Jesus is a fork in the road. And you've got to go one way or the other when you encounter him. And some will rise to salvation with him and others will trip over him. They'll stumble over him and they will fall flat on their face. Why would someone trip over Jesus? Because Jesus says you can't save yourself. You need me to save you. Jesus says you can't be good enough to earn God's forgiveness and favor. You need to depend on my goodness. Jesus says you can't pay for your own sin. You need me to pay for your sin. And that offends many. That offends the self-righteous, those who want to stand on their record. Don't tell me I can't save myself. Don't tell me I don't have what it takes. And they trip over that. The gospel says that we need a Messiah, but then it adds he's a crucified Messiah. That would have been so scandalous to those who are waiting for the Messiah. A crucified king? That's absurd. What are you talking about? But that's who Simeon presents to us here. Simeon says, this baby in my arms is the savior of the world. He's everything I've been waiting for. He is everything I've been waiting for. And I just want to ask you, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're just exploring spiritual things and trying to figure out what you believe, what is it that you're waiting for in life to fill the hole in your heart? the deep longings in your soul. What are you waiting for? What are you looking expectantly for? Are you waiting expectantly for Jesus? Uh, Advent is this season where we wait for him. For us as Christians, Jesus has already been born. He's already come. Um, uh, But we're waiting for him to come again to make all things new. Uh, And right at the end of our text today... um, Anna, I think, teaches us what we might call an Advent liturgy, like a pattern of worship or a pattern of life for how to live. Look what Anna tells us in that last verse, verse 38, or what, what we see in her. Verse 38. And coming up at, the, at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So what do we see here? Uh, We see Anna worship. She gives thanks to God. We see Anna witness. She speaks about Jesus to everyone who's waiting for redemption, for salvation. And, And we see Anna wait. Like she continues to wait. Why? Because Jesus has not yet accomplished a redemption. He's just a baby. He hasn't done everything that he needs to do to accomplish redemption. So she continues Uh, to wait. The kingdom of God had been inaugurated at his coming, but it was not yet fully consummated, and it won't be until he comes again. And so Anna continues to wait and to live out the values of the kingdom and to live as if God is going to do everything he promised to do through Jesus. That's how we, I think Anna gives us a model to how we are, are, are to live as Christians. We worship Jesus, we bear witness to Jesus, and we wait for Jesus to come again. And until he does, we prepare a place, right? We pre- prepare a place for the king. We pursue things like love and peace and justice on earth. And my prayer for us as a church is that, that God would make us like Anna and Simeon, like people who wait patiently, people who wait expectantly, uh, and that we would find in Jesus everything we've been waiting for. 
Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.